0: We are looking at Mark chapter 8 through 10 tonight. And last week we looked at the way of freedom and we saw Jesus liberating people from the control of Satan and the religious leaders. Satan was using creation to keep people in bondage and the religious leaders were using the Torah Or religion to keep the people under control. And Jesus steps into the scene and he confronts creation and Satan with exorcisms and miracles. And then he confronts the religious leaders by teaching truthfully what the Torah was meant to do. It was not meant to put people in bondage and to control them. It was meant to give them life and to give them liberty. And so he came and he confronted these forces and he was liberating people. Now tonight, we're looking at the way of death. So if you're a note taker, that is the way, uh, that is the title of our message, the way of death. So we go from the way of freedom to the way of death. And that's what we're looking at in Mark, the way. That's Mark's agenda. Mark opens his gospel with the way two citations, right? Malachi three, one and Isaiah 40 verse three, and both make reference to the way behold, one is coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus comes and shows us that way. And he's, he's showing us that the way is one of liberating people from the things that are controlling and oppressing them. And they begin to follow and people begin to believe and they're liberated. There's freedom as he's beginning to pave this path. And we said that Jesus is the way to God because Jesus walked the way of God. And so he showed us how to go, where to go. And what I want to say tonight is that the way is not just a decision that we make. The way is not just a decision that we make. It is a direction we take. See, the way is a path, and it's a direction, and it's taking us somewhere. Now, oh, granted, we know, there, there does require decision to enter the way. But it's not just a decision. God is not just concerned about where you stand regarding choices. He wants to know where you walk regarding life, regarding love and relationship with him. So yeah, decision to get onto the way. But once you're on the way... I would warn and caution those that just stand there. It's about a walk. Jesus told the disciples, don't decide who I am. That's not what he said. Peter, drop your net, decide who I am. It was follow me. Follow me on the way. I will show you freedom. I will also show you death. But at the end, I will show you life. This is the way. Of God. And so. Make sure. That you are on the direction. Of the way. Now. In Mark 8 through 10, that's what we're doing tonight. Um, Jesus is now going to begin to make his direction towards Jerusalem. So he's been talking about the way and he's been liberating people to join him on the way. Now he's going to talk about what it means to be on the way. And he's going to demonstrate it with lessons to his disciples. And finally in Jerusalem, he will embody what the way is all about. So let's begin with this. Um, Our section tonight, chapter 8, 9, and 10... Is framed by two episodes that are the same. Different but the same. Okay? It's going to open with the healing of a blind man. And then it's going to end with the healing of a blind man. You see how Mark does this? He's framing here our scene with two episodes of the healing of a blind man. So the first episode is 822. And then the final episode is 840, excuse me, is 1046 to the end of the chapter. So that is our block. And this block inside this frame of healing of blind men is where Jesus and the disciples begin their journey on the way to Jerusalem. And it's going to be shocking. So he needs to warn them about what they're about to face, what he is about to face. But what's interesting is why does Mark choose to frame this section with the healing of two blind men? Possibly because he knows that we're blind. And that the way of God is so different than the way of man that we need healing upon our eyes to see the way, to think differently. As Jesus is going to teach his disciples on this journey, he's going to tell them essentially this. My way is not the conventional way. So everything that you thought you knew about power, authority, and living and ruling, throw that out. My way is very different than the conventional way. So this is what we see um, is that there's there's between the way of man and the way of God. There's a struggle over power. Man believes that power is for him. God's way believes that power is for others. That the possessor of power is not to hoard it and to hold on to it, but to distribute it and to use it for the benefit of others. Now, man's way. Man believes that his power is meant to serve him. And he gets, whenever he gets power, he gets this mentality of survivalism. He has to survive. So he uses his power in order to survive. If anybody's a threat... You kill them. You take their life away. If they have riches, you demand taxes from them so you get richer. The power of man is essentially driven by fear. It's fear of losing control, and it's fear of losing power. And this fear then causes them to take zero risk, no risk at all. It's all about survival. And so that's when they begin to you know, find ways. It's not about giving life to people. You might empower them too much. It's about taking life. It's about keeping people under control. It's about making sure they all come to me. But the way of God says that that is not how power operates. The ironic twist in all of history is that the all-powerful God comes to earth to show us the most unconventional form of power we have ever seen. And Jesus teaches that fear is the enemy of my power. My power operates under faith. It operates under trust. And that faith leads you to take risk. It's not about surviving and I got to maintain my power. It's about I want to use my power, even if that means risk, even if that means giving my life on behalf of others, even if that means giving up my throne or laying down my mortality, even if that's what it means. It's about serving others. Power thus becomes a tool not to elevate self, but to elevate others and to give life to others. And this is, the, this is the conflict between Jesus and every character in this gospel. Everyone understands the conventional way, but Jesus comes and says, that's not God's way. The way that I'm leading you on, that I'm walking, calls for extreme faith-believing, risk-taking, self-sacrificing, others-serving kind of power. And that's why the religious leaders don't get them. That's why the Romans crucify him. That's why the disciples don't get anything, he tells them. You see, to understand the conventional way of power is to be blind to the way of God. Thus, Mark opens with two episodes of blind men being healed to say these frames form the gist of what you need to know about the middle, what Jesus is about to say about his way. It's that you need eyes to see it because it is not the common way we see we're blind and we need to be able to see it so. Let's look at the first episode, then we'll go through what Jesus teaches them, and we'll close with the second healing episode, okay? So the first one, 822. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... Strange and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? The blind man looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. So Jesus understanding this isn't quite right. Laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Strange. Did Jesus fail? This double miracle, this healing you once and then healing you twice, did Jesus make a mistake? Like,. Oh man, I'm so sorry. I did that wrong. Let's try that again. Or my faith just wasn't strong enough. I got it this time. I'm feeling the vibe. Hardly. Mark is doing something very, very strategic here. As it should, you read that and it causes you to stop and say, whoa, what's going on here? Everybody he just touches, they're healed, or even speaks, they're healed. He says, get out of that man, and the demon leaves the man, right? And then all of a sudden, see, I don't see. Do it again. See, now I see. So what's going on? Mark is t- causing us to stop, to halt, and to zoom in. And Jesus asks the blind man, do you see anything? And Mark is posing the question to us. Do you see anything stop and assess right now? What do you see regarding the way regarding the topic of his gospel? What do you see? And well, we will sit there and some of us would say, I kind of see like last week made sense, but I'm not sure I I know yet. I'm still sort of blind. I'm still sort of think the conventional way of man. So Jesus heals him again, right? And this is what Mark's doing is, don't look at this upcoming section lightly. Take not one look, but two looks. There is more than meets the eye. You breeze through this as we so often do with the gospel, like, oh yeah, here's Jesus being, you know, God- predicting his death and the disciples are stupid i would get it but they don't and then some lesson here some miracle there and we just kind of go through and like let's get to the good stuff the cross let's get to the resurrection but mark's saying whoa look carefully if you do you will like the blind man see everything clearly so there's our caution then he'll also close the section with another healing episode. And we'll look at that later. So now let's go into this. Um, what are we to look carefully for? Well, what we're doing is we're now launching on the journey to Jerusalem. And the word, the way, reappears. And it's going to be in our passage seven times. The way. Now, it's not always going to read in your English Bible, the way. Uh, the way is a Greek word, hadas. And hadas is... Translated the way, it's translated wayside, roadside, road, path, journey. That's the idea of hadas, it's any kind of a path or a direction or a way or a road. And so, anytime you see one of those words, know it's hadas, and that's the same concept of the way. The way is hadas in Greek, and so we're going to see that word seven times. So, Mark is going to remind us through all of this conflict between Jesus and the disciples, he's going to keep throwing that word in to remind us they're on the way. So, take a double look. Make sure you see clearly they're on the way. All right, so on this journey, on the way, we're going to see three episodes of Jesus and the disciples having a little conflict. All right, three episodes. Every time. Three things are going to happen in the three episodes. Mark likes the number three. So, first episode, we're going to see Jesus, well, all three of them. We're going to see Jesus three times. He's going to, as they're on the way, he's just going to say, hey, by the way, when we go to Jerusalem, so you're not alarmed, I'm going to die. Then I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times he says that. Every time the disciples miss it, they don't get it. Now, lest you be too hard on them, remember, they are blind, okay? So they don't get it. And so they're going to do stupid and silly things, like argue about who's the greatest, ask Jesus if they can sit at his right hand in his kingdom, or rebuke him for going to the cross. So Jesus is going to predict his death. Then, second, the disciples will misunderstand, will see their blindness. And then, third, Each episode will close with Jesus taking advantage of the moment and teaching the disciples a lesson about what it looks like to walk with him on the way. He's going to reverse their conventional thinking of man's power and man's way and teach them rather the seemingly irrational way of God. So we're going to see three lessons and that's what Mark's doing. Isn't Mark great? He's taking us on this journey with him and Jesus to teach us. So the disciples and Jesus become our teaching tools. All right, so I'm calling this, I have called it in classes I've taught before, the Suffering Trilogy. Because of the three episodes, if I'm going to die, they don't get it. Here's a lesson, the Suffering Trilogy. So we're going to look at it. So three parts. Let's do this. Number one, in 827. So right after the healing of the blind man, 827. Jesus went on with his disciples To the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way. He asked his disciples. Who do people say that I am? And they told him. John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others. One of the prophets. Then he asked them. But who do you say that I am? And Peter in this moment of brilliance answered him you are the christ and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him so here we come to a turning point in the story of mark there's been question about his identity all along now you and i the reader mark has allowed the audience to know all along in the very first verse he told us who jesus is but the characters within the story are left in suspense We're on the inside, they're on the outside, right? And there's been questions, religious leaders, who is this man? Who forgives sins but God? And all these questions, and Mark has a ton of questions in his gospel. And now it comes to a head, and they get it. And his identity is now revealed to the characters. So the story begins to turn a corner. Part two is now moving this way. They're not just in Galilee doing miracles and freeing people. Jesus is now making his ascent to Jerusalem. The journey has begun now that his identity is known. And Peter here has a moment like the blind man in our episode. His eyes are open and he sees. Yet not clearly. He sees Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. But he doesn't yet see the way. As is very evident in verse 31. (laughs) And so Jesus began, here's his his prediction. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. So they should get it. It was very plain, not cryptic, not in code. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, Peter's like the blind man in the previous passage. He sees you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. But he doesn't see clearly yet because he doesn't understand that the way of God is a way of death. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. No, you're not. And then he says, you're just like Satan. You're thinking, you're buying into the conventional ways of man that you're not supposed to die, but you're supposed to kill everybody else and take power. That is of the devil. Peter, you don't see yet. So be quiet till you see. So there's the misunderstanding, the prediction, the misunderstanding, the blindness, and now the lesson plan. Verse 34, calling to the crowd, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So listen, disciples, I get it. You don't see the way yet. Here here it is. Listen, the way is not about becoming the greatest. By surviving when people want to, you know, just just getting rid of all opposition. The way is this. It's becoming the least. It's taking up your cross. Whoa. Aren't you supposed to rule? Aren't you supposed to beat up our enemies? Aren't you supposed to bring power to us? The cross? Now, the cross doesn't just mean death. The cross means the worst, most inhumane kind of death invented and around at the time. Crucifixion was not given to the nobles and the elite in Rome. Crucifixion was an execution given to those that Rome fought least of. You rebel against Caesar or the Roman government, crucifixion. If a master doesn't like his slave, crucifixion. And they were rarely buried. Crucifixion was Rome's way of mocking people. They were disgusted in. So when he tells the disciples, take up your cross, he isn't just saying, handle your hardships. He was telling them to become the least in this world. That's not the conventional way Of doing stuff. What does it mean to take up your cross. To become the least. First it means to surrender. Peter learned this the hard way. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Peter says no you're not. Jesus says you are siding with Satan right now. So we see from Peter. A negative example. That to take up your cross. Means to surrender to the way of God. It means that no matter how unconventional, no matter how risk taking it is, no matter how much of myself I have to give up, that is the way. And then taking up your cross means second, so surrender and second. It means participation. Jesus is calling them to take up the cross. Now, we talk often about the cross as a symbol of substitution. And that is right. Jesus goes to the cross for us to pay for our sins. But we often stop there. And we say, I believe in that. And we stand in our decision rather than walking on the way. And Jesus is saying, the cross is not just substitution. It then goes on into participation. So as I hung on the cross for you, you will then hang on the cross for others. Join with me in taking up your cross. Not just stand at a distance and say, I'm so glad you did it. <laughs> participation. This is a hard message he's calling them to. You are to give up your life in the way I give up my life for people. That is the way of God. So the first lesson we see from Jesus via the image of the cross is that the way means living by dying. Living by dying Our thought of life is as long as I have control and I've got my situation handled and nobody comes against me, I've got life. Jesus says it's not that way. It's surrendering and it's sacrificing participationally with me for other people. That will bring you life. And super important to remember that Jesus is not just considering the cross when he says this. He's considering what comes after the cross. I go to Jerusalem to die and on the third day I'll be raised, he tells them. That's why living means dying on the way of God. You will not truly live until you die. And that he said there in verse 35, whoever would save his life, whoever wants to live will lose it, will die. So on the way, it's paradoxical. Living comes by dying. Lesson number two. 9, verse 30. Nine thirty. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. So they're, they're still in Galilee, but they're making their way towards Jerusalem. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, Second prediction. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Second misunderstanding, second blindness. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, they didn't just not get it. They actually completely understand the opposite. So watch what they do. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way Hadas, They had argued with one another about who was the greatest. I'm going to go die. I just taught you that living comes by dying cross. And I'm going to go do that. And I'm calling you to join with me. And then on the way, they're like, that's cool. Who's greatest amongst us? No, Jesus isn't going to be soon. That's what they're thinking. He's going this crazy route. It's not conventional. We're, we'll stick with the guns of conventionality, if that's a word. And verse 35, he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, if, so here's the second lesson. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Say what? Paradox. Again, living comes by dying the cross. Now he says, leading being the greatest comes by serving. Comes by dying. So you want to be great, be least. (laughs) And now here's an object lesson. He had the cross and last night as a child, he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So the child now becomes a lesson. He talks about becoming the least. Uh, If you want to be greatest. You got to be the least. And so at the cross, he said, become the least, identify with that disgustingness that, that I'm willing to be down here to serve people up and around and everywhere. And now receive the least. You lead by dying, and leading is not about receiving people who can help you and benefit you. Leading is about receiving and helping those that can give you zero advantage whatsoever. A children, a child. Man, the culture. They have their place. You kept children out of the affairs of the adults. And he's saying, receive them. Receive those whom you will not gain anything from. Now, the people are thinking like, this child can't be here. This is serious stuff we're doing. We're like the disciples of the rabbi, the Messiah. We're going to Jerusalem to teach him a lesson. Children, we don't have time for this. And, and the thought of the day, of course, when serious stuff is going, put children in their place. They have a place, they have a designation where they're not going to bother anybody. Keep them there. But you know what that is when we lead that way? Keeping people there, putting them in their place, that's just leading through control and through empowering yourself. Leaders aren't meant to keep children children. Leaders are meant to let children grow into adults. Children are meant to mature and good leaders let people mature. Bad leaders are threatened and they don't want people to grow up and to, and to mature and stuff because it threatens their position. It's easier to control you when you're a child and I don't let you grow and have freedom. So stay there. But Jesus is saying, that's not the way you lead on the way leading comes by dying. It's taking that risk and it's letting your death bring their life. The children become adults. Let people grow, tap into their potentials. They should become everything they were created to be and more when they are underneath your, quote, power. That's the way. So living by dying, leading by dying, and now the third. It's in 1032. 1032. And they were on the hadas the road the way so again luke or mark is reminding us this is the way going up to jerusalem and jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was was to happen to him. Third prediction, 33. Saying, "See, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, Romans. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Verse 35. The third misunderstanding. Blindness. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said, Grant us thrones. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking and essentially says it's not mine to choose it's the father's now i love in verse 41 it says when the 10 heard it they began to be indignant at james and john they are all blind they don't get it they're thinking why didn't we put our application in first and so now the third and final lesson verse 42 Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know, that those who are considered, I can imagine him putting up quote fingers, you know, rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. they're, They're hoarding up power and authority. And the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Looking at each of the 12 in the eye. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even I, the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that, as you can tell, is the most straightforward, severe lesson he gives his disciples. He, he gets right to the heart of the matter. You know, take up your cross. you are like, okay, maybe, you know, lead by receiving children and people that can grow and let them grow and, and people that aren't necessarily going to give you anything. Okay, maybe. Now he's very point blank. Okay, listen, your understanding of power, it comes from your examples, which are very poor examples. The Romans... The religious leaders in jerusalem those are very poor examples so i'm going to tell you straightforward: do not lead like them now think about it for a minute without jesus imagine you never knew jesus what is power what does it mean to be great well what do you do you look at the great ones of the earth look at the, the kings and the leaders and whoever's great in your mind that's how you understand power, right? And the disciples, how should they know? They're blind. They're following whatever hand is there to guide them. The way of Caesar, the way of our religious leaders, its about lording over people and giving yourself power and holding them under control. And if you rebel, I'll squash you, taking life. Jesus saying, I didn't come to take life. I came to give my life. So the cross, the child... Becoming the least, receiving the least, living by dying, leading by dying, and now the throne. Now, ruling by dying. That's the way. Rulers die. That's what makes a great leader, a great ruler, a great king. It's not about having the biggest throne, but it's about giving up your throne for the least, for those in need. It's not about hoarding power for yourself and amassing as much as you can and becoming bigger and greater while everybody else becomes weaker and smaller. It's about distributing power. It's about sharing power It's about giving away from self, death, service in order to help and give life to others. You see, this is what he's calling us to on the way. Obviously, the cross and the child and the throne, it doesn't mean go and hang yourself because the way of death means die. That's fruitless. You're taking away from the world. You God's gift to the people around you. The way means doing the even harder route, dying every day, dying in decisions, dying in choices, dying in preferences. It's giving up of one's resources, of one's self. It's, it's, it's helping people even if it is disadvantaged to you and they, you get no advantage out of it. It's surrendering your idea of the way and the way you think everything should go. That is what Jesus is calling them to. The three lessons of the way. The three paradoxes of the way life comes through death. Leading comes through dying for others and ruling comes through dying for others. Oh, Startling that the way of freedom, we're all hyped and we're like, yeah, go Jesus. The way of freedom has led us right to the way of death. But let's not be discouraged because the way of life is there. David prayed, didn't he, in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want freedom, the way of freedom. But though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the way of death. And then you have a feast for me at the table. And surely goodness and mercy follow me forever, the way of life. This is the way of God. And so we now come to Mark's conclusion of all of this with the second healing episode of a blind man. This time he has a name. His name's Bartimaeus. I believe he's named Bartimaeus to directly contrast the others named in our travel narrative. Peter by name, James and John by name. Now we don't just have some dude that's healed. We have a name. We have a person with as much character and place in this story as Peter, James, and John have. So here's blind Bartimaeus. They came, verse 46, to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the Hadass. By the roadside. By the way. He's just He's on the side of the way sitting there. So he's not on the way, he's on the side of it. And when he heard that it was said, Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the man, the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And see if this question doesn't sound familiar. He said, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What did James and John ask him? Remember, remember, or Jesus asked them. He, they came up to him. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Here, Bartimaeus comes up to him and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You see? James and John, in contrast with Bartimaeus. Now, Bartimaeus does not say, grant us a throne. He says what Mark's been getting at the whole time. The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And followed him on the way. Isn't that great? So here's Bartimaeus. He's blind. He's on the side of the way. And then Jesus comes to him and says, what do you want from me? And he doesn't ask for a throne. He asks for eyes. And as a result, he now follows Jesus on the way. That's how he got on so here we see the disciples. They're just like Bartimaeus. They're just like the other blind man at the beginning. They're blind. They don't get it. They don't see. And Jesus is leading them to have their eyes open through lessons. Hey, this is what the way looks like. Do you see it yet? What do you see? Do you see clearly? And I think that Mark wants us to answer the same question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Some of us are in very dire straits, and naturally, we want financial help. We want to be able to control our bodies, we want this enemy to be obliterated. We're very circumstantial. We're very external. We come to Jesus and if he ever came to us and said, what do you want me to do for you? We think, oh, wish factory. (laughs) But that is blindness. You will never see. Jesus is offering us what we really need. Eyes to see the way. And so tonight we're going to take communion and the worship team is going to come up. And during the song, it's in the back, go at your leisure. But when you take it, this is the point. Jesus has come to us and asked, what do you want me to do for you? I encourage you. I invite you. To ask him with me that we have eyes to see his way, that we can, like Bartimaeus, follow him on the way. Oh, it's not easy. There's death. But we know where it's going. And it is far better than standing by the roadside begging.